You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. In the two parables that we're looking at today, it's very clear that prayer is a very significant theme, isn't it? And prayer is a, a very vital part of the Christian life and walk. But of course, people use it in all kinds of contexts, don't they? You know, yesterday in the, in the football, uh, someone was saying that we we're just praying that the VAR decision would go their way. But was he really praying? I know, but people say that I, am, I was praying for that, or I, I, I was praying for a job, or I was just hoping, maybe it's the word that they're using. And while prayer in the Christian life is so important, it's a means of grace. It's a means of grace that God gives us that we would become more closely aligned to his will. Now, because we're engaging with God's word, and as we're talking to God, that we are understanding more of what God has to say to us. But also, prayer is a means by which God works. God answers prayer. God uses our prayers to bring about his will. And in, in Scripture, when we think of prayer, we maybe think of really big examples. We might think of Daniel. You know, Daniel was a man of prayer daily. He prayed three times. Or maybe Jesus. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or Paul in his letters is constantly writing about, I, I pray for you. We read a bit in Ephesians. He, he starts off all his prayers with thanksgiving and prayer. But as we look at these two parables today, and we learn about prayer in each of them, what, why is it that Jesus gives us both of these parables together? Well, it's for this. We give up easily in prayer because we do not depend on God. Jesus knows this. We give up easily in prayer because we do not depend on God as we should. And as we look at these two parables, we're just going to look each of them in turn. And the first parable, what are we, what are we going to take away? Well, persevere in prayer because God will bring justice. Persevere in prayer because God will bring justice. And to persevere or to persist in something Sometimes it's hard work, isn't it? In work, there might be a colleague or maybe a customer that you keep putting off, but they're persistent. They're nagging you maybe to get something done, or, and maybe eventually we hope that if we just keep ignoring them, that they'll disappear and we'll not hear from them again. Other times when it's ourselves persisting, we will continue to persist, but especially if it's something that we really want. Maybe it's something that we really need, that we are, we are driven then. To, to persist. Milton Hersey, who had Hersey's chocolate earlier, he dropped out of school when he was young. He started off as a printer, and he worked as an apprentice in a candy-making shop, and he really wanted to make it big. So he started off uh, in Philadelphia and failed. Chicago, failed again. New York, failed a third time. Unsuccessful three times, but he continued to persist. But this parable is not about persisting in life, like just to try, try, try again. This parable is about persisting in prayer. So the reason Jesus gives the parables in verse 1 of Luke chapter 18, Luke helpfully is narrating this for us, and he tells us that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We are to pray and persistently pray. But we falter and quit, don't we? Sometimes we quit because we don't think God is listening to us. We do not persist in prayer because the answer is not immediate. 
Because we live in a world where everything's immediate, because God's answer is not immediate to us, we just assume it's a no. We are too impatient. We want everything now, but we must keep going in prayer. Often we do listen to what the voice of Satan says to us. He whispers in our, in our ear, doesn't he? It's prayer's no use. God can't hear you. Look, it's not worth it. You've been on your knees night after night. He doesn't, if he doesn't answer you this time, it just proves my point, doesn't it? That's what the enemy says to us. He seeks to drive us away from the Lord. But Jesus says, pray, pray, pray. Keep praying. Paul often says something like this in his letters, to, to pray always or to continually pray. We need to persist in our prayers. And as we look at the parable in verses 2 to 5, we meet a character, don't we? We meet a judge, and the judge is unjust. And it's really sad, isn't it? He says, I don't care about God, and I don't care about people. What an awful judge, because one of his roles in society is to look after the people, to look after the orphans and the widows. And here he's saying, I don't care. And then we have a widow, and she clearly has a problem. What we don't know, but she is seeking justice, and she appears to be in the right she needs justice. But the judge has no interest, right, doesn't? He ignores her for a long time. In verse 3, we're told that he just kept coming with him with a plea. She kept badgering him until he, he would give in. She, he just gives in so she wouldn't wear him out. Not, not, that word he uses of the judge, she would eventually wear me out with her coming. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a word picture Jesus is using. It's essentially saying, if she keeps coming back to me, I'm going to have a black eye. That's the part, not that it's going to bother him with a handbag. It's just that idea of just leave me alone or else I just can't ignore it anymore. And the point Jesus is saying that is if even a bad judge, an awful judge like this, is able to do the right thing, even if he was persistently asked, even if this evil judge is able to do the right thing, how much more will God, who is just and perfect and always right, bring about his justice. Because in verses 68, Jesus does give that explanation, doesn't he? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Won't God always just do what is right because that is his nature? Won't God always hear the prayers of his people? Surely the Lord who is just will be answer our prayers and do so quickly. So in a timely manner at the end of verse 8, or in the middle of verse 8, I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly god always acts in his perfect time and this is what jesus is saying god never delays and we can be utterly sure convinced and confident that god will always do what is right that is why we can cry out to him day and night knowing that he will bring justice we can persist in prayer for god will bring justice when we are a praying people consistently praying isn't it so easy to be discouraged because although we pray and pray and pray sometimes we just don't see the answer maybe god just clearly hasn't answered our prayer but here jesus is saying keep going keep falling on your knees and keep praying keep persisting in prayer do not lose heart because it's easy to lose heart isn't it never our prayers aren't answered jesus knows that's what it's like for us it's almost as if our heart's been ripped out of us and we're so discouraged and downhearted that Jesus says, don't lose it. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. The widow is helpless here. 
maybe other people are able to bribe the judge. He's the kind of guy that would take a, a brown envelope, it seems. And although she had little power or no sway in the judge, she persists and wears the judge down. We'll not wear down God with our prayers, but God will always do what is right. We know that the Lord will always hear our prayers as his people after we've confessed our sin. We might be told no, we might be told to wait, but God always listens. He's not like this evil judge. God does not batter us away when we come to him in prayer. There will be times in our Christian walk when we will be tired of praying, where we don't even see maybe the purpose of praying at times. Maybe we think it's pointless. When we are convinced that God does not answer prayer anymore, when we have no energy or desire to pray, Jesus says, pray on. Pray and pray and pray. So can I just encourage you to keep going? Keep praying on your own, with your family, with our church family. Richard Buse says this, to persist in prayer, that indicates real progress. Prayer life is a good spiritual indicator for us. And to keep praying, to persist in our prayer life, shows that we are growing in our faith. It shows us that we are progressing, that we're continuing to run this race, even when you don't feel up to it. And we see that in the Psalms. Or you think maybe you're not being answered. Again, we see that in Scripture. Jesus says, keep going, keep going. It shows us that we are following him. It's much easier to begin a new diet than to stick with it, isn't it? And so it is with our prayer life. It's much easier to start a new habit of prayer than to keep it going. But we need to keep going. Prayer is an evidence of belief in Jesus and that we are truly converted to Jesus. And to, to neglect prayer, J.C. Ryle says, is a sure road to a fall. If we neglect prayer, we will stumble in our walk. I think earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting. That fasting is loaded. Yes, he was literally fasting, but he's praying. He's getting closer to the Lord, his Father. And at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is able to withstand the attack of the evil one. Jesus constantly prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he used to go to the cross on that walk. What is it that Jesus is doing? Praying. Jesus did not fall. Jesus knows that we do and we will struggle with prayer. And that is why he gives us this parable to keep going, to not lose heart. It can be easy for us to be so disheartened, to throw in the towel eh, whenever we look at this world or at our lives. But God uses our prayers. We must pray. God uses our prayers to bring about his purpose. Think Moses in the wilderness the people have no food or water, what does Moses do? He prays. He prays in order that God would bring about his will of providing them with food and water. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she's in the house of the Lord, she's on her knees, she's crying her eyes out. She's asking that the Lord would bless her with a child. And the Lord answers her prayer. Elijah that we looked at in June, asked for no rain, he asked for a drought, and the Lord answers his prayer. We must never presume that God will grant us, apart from our prayer, what he has ordained. Because he might have ordained something to happen. He might have ordained things to come to pass 
by the means of prayer. That is why we persist. We keep going and going and going, persist in our prayer life because justice will come and all God's people will be gathered in. Keep praying. Pray is vital for our Christian life and walk. And prayer brings about God's purposes. Parable 2. We see that in verses 9 to 14. And what are we learning there? Well, pray for God's mercy because we are sinners. Pray for God's mercy because we are sinners. William Carey was a missionary who was sent to India in 1793. And he worked for the Lord Jesus, obviously, in India. And he, he did much there. He translated the Bible, the whole Bible or parts of the Bible in 40 different dialects or languages. And, well, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God is, is his, I think, his line. And, well, he was an incredible man of faith, wasn't he? To go out and to serve the Lord. He had done so much in building God's kingdom there. And when he was 70... He wrote a letter to his son, and this is what he says in it. I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness, though on a review of my life, I find much, very much for which I ought to be humbled into the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all this, I am spurred till now and I'm still retained in his work and I trust I am received into the divine favor through him. Here's a man who left England, although he lived in poverty, to go to India. A man who worked so much for the Lord, who spread the name of Jesus, who went away to serve the Lord. He reflects in his life and his service to the Lord. And what does he say? I ought to be humbled into the dust. My sins are innumerable. He reflects on his life and he has the reality check that we all need. I am a sinner. He looks at all the work that he has done and he says, I neglected the Lord's work. How could a man of such standing who'd done so much say, I neglected the Lord's work? Because he knew it was true. He was humble. He knew he stood not in his own strength of his achievements or his workload, but he only stood before God because of the trust he had in Jesus. That's why he finished that I trust I am received in divine favor through him, through Jesus. And as God's people, we are to pray for God's mercy because we are sinners too. In verse 9, Jesus says that there are some confident of their own righteousness. They are confident in themselves. And let me say, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. We can drift into an attitude of, of, of being content with ourselves relying that we believe the, the right things, or we live the correct lifestyle, or we're actively involved in the life of the church, or we can look at the world and say, thank goodness I am not like that. Don't trust yourself. Pray for God's mercy, for we are sinners. And let's look at this parable, because here Jesus speaks it, and we have the firstly the Pharisee and his prayer. And in the, the temple or in the synagogue where this is, is taking place, uh, the temple to pray, people to pray privately or publicly. And it's likely the Pharisee's gone up to the front and he's speaking it out loud so everyone can see him and everyone could hear him. But as we look at this parable, it's important for us just to put on the brakes because whenever we hear Pharisee, the red beacons go off in our minds, don't they? 
we know these are bad guys, but for the people listening this, the Pharisees, they are the church-going people. They are the good people. They are the people that folks look up to because they were righteous. They were holy. They appeared to be following God's word to a T. They were prominent believers in society. People look up to them. Well, tax collectors, we know, they're treated like traitors because of their connections with Rome, notorious wealth and cheating. But the Pharisees, Jews loved generally and respected. They lived a life that was so different because they focused on the law. They, it was clear to the people watching them that they were taking God's word seriously. And that helps us understand this because whenever the Pharisee speaks, the people are just in awe of listening. Because the Pharisee in his prayer shows us his outstanding moral and religious actions, doesn't he? God, I thank you. And then he goes on in verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's saying, Lord God, I do not sin like other people, all these bad people. I'm good living. The law says fast once. Well, I do it twice. The law says tithe on certain things. Well, I tithe everything. Everybody's in awe and amazement of this Pharisee. Look at his incredible faithfulness, his super, super morals, and his great religious acts that he does. He does it all, and he does it all so, so well. But what has he done? Hasn't he reduced sin to just big things, like the people he's mentioned here, robbers, evildoers, adulterers? And we can be tempted to do that too. Whenever we do that, we miss the reality of our sin. No matter how great or how small, sin is all sin against God. And this prayer might be saying, I'm moral and religious, but the prayer is all about himself. It's going back to what Jesus, or Luke says in verse 9, that they are confident in their own abilities. Here is the man. It's all about himself. He's all depending on himself. What is missing? He's missing the sense of sin and the sense of dependence on God, isn't he? It's a prayer that says, look at me. Aren't I great? Look at all that I do. It's full of self. And we need to watch out. As believers, but even if we're not trusting in Jesus, we can be so concerned in living the good life, so concerned of not doing the big, bad things of this world, that we can jump to the conclusion that because I don't do X, Y, and Z, or because I go to church, that means I have a good standing before God. It doesn't mean you have a good standing before God. Don't jump to that conclusion because you are obedient that you have a good standing before God. That's the trap most all the Pharisees fell into. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And we stand not in our obedience, not in all the good things that we do, but we only stand in the obedience of Jesus and faith in him. Paul writes in Second Corinthians that to compare ourselves to others, we are not wise. Don't trust yourself. We also need to be careful that when we engage with this parable, we don't end up saying, God, I thank you, I'm not like the Pharisee. And part of me wants to say that. God, thank you, I'm not, part of the, I'm not a Pharisee. But do you not see the irony in that? The Pharisee is no better than me, no worse than me. We're equal, we're sinners. And the Pharisee is turning up to the temple to pray so that everybody could see him. He wants people to know he was there. And before we move on to the tax collector's prayer, let me ask you three quick questions about prayer. Why is it that you do not pray with God's people? 
April to June, La Comfort and Union Road, two different nights granted, over 100 people praying together. Not the case now. Were you there to be seen? Thirdly, do you see how like I am and you are to the Pharisee? We do not depend on God as we should, sure we don't. Often we're tempted to say, look at all that I do. But it's nothing to do with us. We are all selfish. We are all sinners. So let's look at the tax collector's prayer because it is so short and small, yet so beautiful, where this Pharisee stands up to be seen. Here the tax collector's posture reflects exactly how he feels. He stands back in the back corner in the distance, unable even to lift his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast. What an opposite attitude he had to his prayer. And what does he say? He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He is humble. He stands not in his own strength or righteousness. And you might say, oh, well, he doesn't have much righteousness to stand on. Well, neither does the Pharisee. The only hope for the tax collector and for us is to confess our unworthiness before God. Not look at what I have done, but Lord, please look at what Jesus has done for me. Lord, be merciful to me. The tax collector recognizes that he has to be depending on the mercy of God. In this parable, Jesus gives a strong rebuke for each of us who think that standing in our own righteousness before the Lord is a good thing. Because ironically, in verse 14, it's not the the good person who is justified. It's not the religious person that is justified, but rather the one who says, I'm unworthy. The one who says that I am unrighteous and turns to the Lord for mercy. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. We are depending on God's mercy. Turning to God's mercy alone. We need to do that. We must rest in Christ alone for our salvation. Not all the good that we do. Not all the good living stuff. Not because we don't commit massive sins. We need to turn to Jesus because he paid the penalty for all our sins, great and small, and raised for our justification. He did it, not us. If we add our works onto what Jesus has done, we miss the gospel completely. It's not about me or you at all. It's all about Jesus. And all that we do is in response and thankfulness of what God has done for us, that he has been merciful to us, that we are depending on him. And that's what Jesus wants us to get, that we are utterly dependent on God's mercy. And that's why I just read the next few verses past the parable, the little children and Jesus. What's the characteristic of small children? They need their hand held, don't they? They need help in doing absolutely everything. They're dependent on others. And that's what we are to be like. Not childish, but like children. who are utterly dependent on God for all help. There's none of us too insignificant for Jesus not to notice. Children show a trust and openness, a dependency on adults. And it's that openness, trust, that we need to show to Jesus. That we need to be utterly dependent on him. The Lord does not grade us like an exam paper. Like if you get enough grades, you'll get to university. If I'm good enough, I will get to heaven. Or if I do enough good, I will outweigh the bad, and that's the way I'll get there. No, God's not like that. 
God wants to mark on our foreheads and us to know it. We have a big F on it, big fat feel. It's nothing to do with us, how we're going to get there, but all of his son, Jesus. If we want to be justified, declared righteous, you can't keep the law and keep it perfectly. But we all feel on that. We cannot do it. And that is why there is one who did, our Lord Jesus. No sinner can keep God's law perfectly, and it's a deadly factor. But there is one who did. Jesus has done it for us. And even as we sit here today, as we have prayed already, he is interceding for us. Folks, keep going. Keep praying. Keep depending on Jesus. Keep asking for his mercy. For he will forgive us. He will bring justice. We can continue to pray in him and through him. Because we simply fall on our knees and say, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Let's pray.